0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with Dr. Sajin Bhakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi everyone. Hello. Today we have a special guest with us, uh, Mr. Ian Ashby from um, American Ambulance. Hi Ian, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Today we're going to be talking about pediatric fevers.
1: Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of Americans' family. Help is on the way, got a unit en route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sun rise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on.
2: Here comes American.
1: Get your lights on.
2: Here comes American.
1: Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on.
2: Here comes American.
1: Get your
0: save on. So Ian, uh, go ahead and tell us about yourself. Sure. I've
1: been born and raised in Fresno uh, for about 27 years now. Uh, I've been working at American Ambulance for a total of about seven years. Five years of that, I've had my paramedic license and been getting a lot of experience out here in the field. Learned a lot about medicine out here. Uh, came from Clovis North High School from Medical Careers Program, and they hired me right out of high school. So, I'm talking about febrile seizures. I have a pretty interesting case. Uh, this happened several years ago. Uh, we responded only priority three to a sick person call. It was a uh, winter time at night, and we go to the second story of an apartment complex and. This family brings me their about two to three-month-old child, and they were actively seizing in the parents' hands, and the baby was perfectly swaddled and just very tightly wrapped up in very warm blankets. And uh, I was standing in the doorway, so I took the child from them. We had a bit of a language barrier, so they just handed me the child, and I immediately took the kid out of the, the blankets, and from just the action of taking off the blankets and exposing their skin to the cold winter air, the child stopped seizing, so then we went inside, and I took vital signs. We were doing blow-by and just trying to uh, stimulate the baby to try and wake him up, and within about a minute or so, the child woke up, and everything was normal vitals-wise, and we went to the hospital. Pretty interesting case, just to see how quickly the uh, baby's condition changed just from getting all that heat to be able to dissipate from their body. And they were very febrile when we took them to the hospital and got it checked, probably about 101, 102.
0: Were there any way to get any history from the family if the kid had any medical problems, or was it a normal birth, or did you know anything by that, or because language barrier, you probably didn't know much? Uh,
1: I tried using Google Translate. I tried finding out what language that they, that they spoke. And I was able to get a little bit, and they also wrote a little bit of English. So we were trying to piece together something, but I uh, wasn't able to get much, but the, the patient still
2: had a good outcome.
0: Great. Any questions from the group? So yeah, that can be a really scary
2: situation when you're handed this tiny person, two to three months old, and they're seizing in front of you. What else are you thinking about at that point? What, what are your, you know, your next steps and what protocol are you using at that point?
1: I was running down the seizure protocol at that point. So there could be other things that we could be that could cause a seizure, say low blood sugar. So we always go and check the sugar. Aside from anything beyond just the fever, like knowing that by touching the baby and feeling how hot they were, I I figured that that was the reason why. And so just Thinking like trying to keep them cool, but not too cold. Don't want them to become hypothermic. Knowing in my head, okay, if the child starts seizing again, then maybe it's something other than heat related if I am able to still keep them cooled off. And then um, just having the medications ready to go in case that were to occur again. Yeah, and you did a
2: great job, you know, transporting the patient to the hospital. Uh, A lot of people can see a kid who's had a seizure in the setting of a fever and, Uh, just say, you know, once the seizure has stopped, you know, leaving them at home is okay. Um, But as we'll talk about, there are really certain age ranges, especially, you know, less than six months old. We don't mess around with that. We want to figure out the cause of everything. So they did a great job taking them to the hospital.
0: Well, thank you. Well, thanks, Ian. Thank you for being here today and sharing your story. Thank you. So let's talk about pediatric fevers. Um, You know, these are a very common complaint. Up to a third of pediatric ED and doctor's office visits are due to fever. Um, But how do we define this? You know, what do we call as a true fever? Most pediatricians agree that temperature greater than 38.0 degrees Celsius or 100.3 degrees Fahrenheit is a fever. Um, Is fever bad? Do we need to be worried about every fever? We're going to answer these questions um, throughout this podcast today. So Saja, why don't you tell us about the epidemiology of this?
2: Sure. So as you mentioned, we see a lot of this in the emergency department and pediatric and primary care offices every year. And conservative estimates put fever as the chief complaint of at least a quarter, probably more like one-third of ED visits. So pediatric patients account for a small percentage of EMS transports, about 13% in one national study, which represents only about 7% of all pediatric patients seen in the ED. However, this group is more likely to have a higher acuity of illness. So even though the total number of transports due to pediatric fever may be low, they represent a higher acuity of patients and a sicker subset of patients than walk-ins.
0: Now, locally, um, we've transported about 9,000 pediatric patients in 2020 year-to-date. So that's about um, 8% of our transports.
2: And these patients are sick and get very sick because between the ages of six months to six years, um, a rapid rise in temperature can cause febrile seizures, and that can be really scary to parents. Those fevers can represent serious bacterial infections. Even though those are rare, those are very important to treat as early and as quickly as possible. They can lead to very poor outcomes if we don't get treatment. Um, So treat all of these patients really seriously.
0: And if you want to learn more about pediatric um, febrile seizures, you can tune into our podcast number 22.
3: So I think that was a really good point Sajan brought up about how um, by the time a kid with the fever is actually transported, they're probably going to be sicker, and they are sicker than than our walk-ins um, usually. And I think that's because even though parents are told a lot of times, you know, your kid has a fever, that's when they're bad, you know, go to the ER, they do tend to just drive their kids in. It I think parents are pretty good about not actually calling EMS to transport for a simple fever. So that's why, you know, whenever I see a kid arriving by ambulance with a fever, I kind of, you know, give it an extra minute to be like, let me look through this kid head to toe. What's really going on here? Um, and I have to say, I've over the years, I've had cases um, of, you know, hidden like neck abscesses and meningitis and just a lot of awful different infections, um, and those really came in by ambulance. It is important to think about, um, and especially it's really important uh, to think about when they're under three months old. So age matters for pediatric fevers. Now, under one month, that is a big, big deal. So I don't know if everybody listening knows this, but if an infant is under one month of age and they show up to the ER... They'll get every test known to man, including a lumbar puncture. It's a big, big deal. And that's because neonates um, don't have a really solid blood-brain barrier. We call it a leaky blood-brain barrier. And so they become much more susceptible to central nervous system infections. Um, And, of course, they can also, in this period, still manifest infections they contracted during delivery, either through the mother's birth canal or because of the delivery process itself. So those are very serious. And then under between one month and three months, also considered serious, we kind of do the full workup, including blood work, x-ray, checking a a urine sample, a lot of things, but we kind of stop short of the spinal tap unless they really need it. So this age group is important, and I would uh, recommend transporting any child with a fever under three months of, of age and
0: I just want to second what Fatil is saying, because there's some great studies
3: out there that show that um, clinicians,
0: you know, so erodox pediatricians are very bad at just being able to decide just based on looking at a kid who's really sick in this age group. So if you have someone that's, you know, two weeks old that has a fever, they may look great for a two week old, right? They're just going to stare at you, they're still going to be eating, they're still gonna be pooping. Remember, they're not even really smiling at this age. So our assessment, our ability to assess how sick they are, is not good during this time, they can have normal vitals, but at the same time, they can have bacteria floating around in their brain. So It's really important under age three months, they all get transported, they're all treated super seriously.
3: That is a great point. Now, one more caveat I will add is that we really have to trust the parents when it comes to temperature. If their temperature is normal, but mom says, my kid felt really hot, my kid had a fever and I felt it, it's actually been shown that that is true and we have to go by that. So we will institute the full workup just based on a parent's tactile temperature.
0: Right, and studies can show that, that parents know when their kid has a fever regardless of taking the temperature. And so we like to sometimes think that medicine knows more, but the parents do know when their kid's temperature is hot.
3: So let's talk a little bit about how body temperature is regulated. This really happens in your brain, specifically by thermosensitive neurons in your anterior hypothalamus. And these um, neurons respond to changes in blood temperature, and they um, actually connects to cold and warm receptors located in your skin and muscle. So your skin and muscle is kind of sending it information saying it's cold or warm, and then they respond accordingly. The body is actually really good at maintaining temperature homeostasis. And so it's not going to let the temperature go up to a lethal amount as long as there's no dehydration and there's an open environment to provide for heat loss. So, you know, sometimes like when kids or even adults have a fever, they're shivering, right? They're like, they're they're rigoring and they're shivering. They seem really cold. And so the natural inclination is to bundle them up in more and more blankets. Don't do that. That's not the right thing. So the key is actually like, even if they're shivering with their fever, they're not cold. They're just too hot. So strip them, take everything off and give their own body a chance to cool off. This so that's another, what we mean by open environment.
0: Another important point is why babies—they cannot shiver yet, right? They cannot do all these things that their brain is supposed to do in that young age.
3: Yeah. So tiny baby, you're just gonna just gonna strip them. And then the other key is dehydration. So that's ac- that's actually a big deal in in babies because they can get dehydrated so quickly, um, and so you're going to be monitoring for signs of dehydration. Now, I think we're all taught to be scared of fevers, right? Fever is bad. Uh, I know that my kid's pediatrician has, you know, told me that too, but not all fever is bad. Remember that your body does things for a reason and increased temperatures actually help your body to fight whatever infection that it has. Viruses don't survive well in high temperatures, and so your body is raising the temperature so that it can kill off the virus. For example, so um, so I like this this one um, this one quote, which is that fever is purposeful, but the effects of its reduction on disease duration and severity are questionable. So fever is useful. And decreasing fever, we don't know if that really helps. And there's actually studies now that show that if you control fevers too much, like just don't even let somebody mount the fever, that they actually have worse outcomes and it takes them a lot longer to get over their infections. So although parents freak out about fevers, sometimes our job is to inform them that they don't need to be so worried um and sometimes even get into like why are you so scared in the first place and there's studies looking at that where they look at what are parental beliefs regarding fevers and there's so many people that believe that just having a fever can cause irreversible brain damage not true
0: but i have to say sometimes you have a fever cuz you have meningitis and it can cause irreversible brain damage so i think it depends on the the family's experience or their symptoms or maybe another kid got really sick and so some of these beliefs are you know they don't understand the whole picture
3: yeah but there's also people that, you know, your temperature just hits 100 degrees and they're like, all right, here you go. Here's the Tylenol. It's like, well, if you sit at, at 101 for like a little bit, it's not going to be the end of the world. Now, of course, if the fever is high, once your temperature is getting in that like 104, 105, 106 category, we're dealing with a different beast. And that is a temperature that does need to get controlled.
2: So not necessarily the fever itself or the, the number up to a certain point, but really what's going on to cause that fever is what we really worry about. And what Danielle mentioned earlier was that it's really hard to tell in these young kids who is sick and who's not just by looking at them. And sometimes we have to do more testing and that's why we get worried. Is there a bacterial infection that we're missing that's causing the fever? Not necessarily the fever itself.
0: Let's talk about the assessment of these uh, kids that have fevers at the different ages.
2: Thankfully, as Patila is saying, most kids with the fever are probably okay. We are looking for bacterial sources, but they may look... Fine, on first assessment. So we're always gonna start with our ABCs and especially in a child who can't speak to us, we really are relying on our physical exam skills. Is their airway patent? Are they protecting their airway on their own? Are they breathing normally? Or are they breathing quickly? And then circulation-wise, always tough to get a blood pressure on the youngest kiddos, but we're looking more at their skin signs. Do they have cap refill? They have signs of dehydration. Are they mottled? those are things that we're looking for. And fever, as we mentioned, can be tactile, meaning the parents know what their kid feels like, know what their kid looks like. If they felt that the patient was warm, then we trust them. We trust them that the patient was having a fever. EMS medics don't keep thermometers on the rigs, but uh, we do trust the tactile sensation, especially in these kids who aren't able to tell us. Also, in terms of history and assessment, it's important to know if the patient's already received any antipyretic medications, any medications like Tylenol or ibuprofen that may have dropped the patient's temperature so that they may not be warm when we're seeing them now, but they may have had a fever before. Again, on that note, the patients don't have a fever right now. It may be other things that clue us into this patient is sick, Um, lethargy, not acting right, crying and not being able to be consoled, not eating well. Again, hard on this patient who can't tell you everything. So rely on your physical exam and make sure we're really assessing for anything that could be going on.
0: And There's no real pediatric fever pathway. There's no pediatric fever um, pre-hospital protocol. So if the Families calling 911 for this um, sick kiddo, you might even be on the pediatric shock pathway because uh, once you do their vital signs, maybe the neonate is in shock.
3: Uh, so let's briefly review the pediatric shock non-traumatic pathway as that might be what helps us in this scenario. Uh, so first, of course, assess your ABCs, uh, as Sajan already mentioned. Uh, secure airway if needed. Suction as needed. High flow oxygen is needed. And then um, when you're transporting this patient, notify the hospital you're transporting to of ETA because this is going to be a STAT pediatric patient. Now, you're going to want to start working on some sort of access. So it's either going to be IV or IO. If there's no vein immediately visible or you do see a vein, but you can't get that IV after the first try and they're unconscious, just go straight to IO. If the patient is conscious you know you should contact the base hospital um, regarding that IO placement. If a, a pediatric patient is in shock, our next step is to give them a fluid challenge. Um, the bolus that we like to start out at is 20 mil per kg of LR. Uh, and just remember, a one-year-old is going to be about 10 kilos. So I always remember that number. So a one-year-old, your opener would be 200 mLs of LR. And then reassess vitals. And you can repeat this fluid challenge twice if needed. You can give 60 um, milliliters per kilo max of fluids um, before you arrive at the hospital.
0: So let's jump to our take-home points, can't-miss actions. Uh, What do we want everyone to remember about pediatric fever?
2: Remember that it's not necessarily the fever. Fevers can be helpful in a patient who's recovering from an illness, but we really worry, what does that fever mean? Are we missing a serious bacterial infection? And we're just not that great at doing a good exam. So some of these kids need more testing. So please transport
0: them. Patil, take home points.
3: I think my other take home point is that these kids can be in shock, which uh, sometimes is just diagnosed by having a ready pulse, uh, changes in mental status like lethargy, irritability. They're cold, clammy, mottled, poor cap refill. And when you see this complex um, associated with a fever, just go down that pediatric shock pathway and intervene accordingly with with IV or IO fluids and fast transport.
0: And then my take on point would be um, any kid that's under age three months, I'd like your heckles to go up. I'd like you to get nervous. I want you to say, ooh, a three-month-old, this is weird, especially a one-month-old. Remember, their blood-brain barrier is not intact. They can get super sick. And so um, really um, bring those kids in so they need a big workup. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.
3: Thank you. podcast at americanambulance.com once again that's podcast at americanambulance.com thanks
1: thank you for joining us on the american ambulance ems podcast produced by american ambulance in fresno california the views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of american ambulance or ucsf fresno The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.